Hey everyone, welcome to Timeline Scavengers, the podcast specifically designed to last forever. I'm Colin Parker, one of your hosts. And I'm James Anderson, your other host. On the show where we're going through the MCU in historical order, scene by scene, until the end of time. Ooh, James. Say, say that Say that whole last bit one more time. Let me just hear that. <laughs> On this show, we're going through the MCU in historical order, scene by scene, till the end of time. Oh, James, that's such a good... like. You have such a great <laughs> voice for like telling stories. <laughs> well, thanks. And Thank you. it's it's perfect that you do because today mm. I'm going to tell a story. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Well, just so long as the story isn't about someone else telling a story. Then well, will, uh, James, I've got bad news oh, for you. Oh, no. It's from Eternals. <laughs> we are back in 575 BCE. So this is from the Eternals. Uh, minutes 24 and 56 seconds uh running no sorry i i apologize i i'm gonna preface this actually i am going to break my minutes here into two sections okay um so it is going to be 24 minutes and 56 seconds through 27 minutes and 43 seconds let me talk about the first bit of this scene because i have some stuff that i need to interrupt with uh and then so and then we'll do it like that Perfect. So the first bit of this, though, is 2456 through 2524. Uh, so here is the first clip, or first part of the clip, rather. Speaking in Babylonian, we hear, mm. The wonders of the world await you. Follow Gilgamesh and Enkidu into battle. Be inspired forever by their bravery and strength. You and your fellow man will go on great adventures and become legends of your own. And throughout these words, Sprite is standing at the center of a giant space surrounded by the people of Babylon. Uh, And Sprite is crafting these golden images in the sky, almost like the reverse of shadow puppetry, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of using a shadow like from the light, they are in a dark space creating light. And her illusion magic is crafting the characters of the stories and causing them to soar above everyone's heads enacting every move until the final line when they all explode into fireworks. So cool. Okay. Uh, so the reason why I wanted to break this down is I wanted to uh, po- point out a couple of different things. So Gilgamesh is obviously one of the heroes here in uh, the Eternals that we've mentioned. Right. But once again, it's a hero's name that comes from actual like mythology and, and lore and everything right right and so this is essentially the eternal saying the gilgamesh that you know in real life is from this eternal yeah um, it's yeah sprites doing easter eggs correct yeah pretty much <laughs> um so i just wanted to kind of point out uh who this is so mm-hmm. uh it is a hero in ancient mesopotamia uh the protagonist of the epic of gilgamesh oh, names in the title an epic yep. poem epic an epic poem written in Akkadian, 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 Akkadian maybe? maybe? I think so. Yeah. During the late second millennium BC. I'm struggling to speak today. Sorry. Uh, I just keep hearing you talk and I hear that, <laughs> that good voice. I'm like, oh God. Okay. Uh, he was possibly a historical king of the Sumerian city state of Uruk who was posthumously deified. Um, hmm. Now, the one thing that's also important here is that. Uh, the reason why I brought this up is because they also mention another character, right? They say in the earliest of these Sumerian poems, um, Gilgamesh and Kidu and the Netherworld, in which Gilgamesh comes to the aid of the goddess Inanna, 
and drives away the creatures infesting her tree. Um, she gives him two unknown objects, a Miku and a Piku, which he loses. After Enkidu's death... You hate it. You hate to see it. <laughs> yeah. Um, after Enkidu's death, his shade tells... I think his shade might mean like a shadow. It's, um, it's like a ghost. It, in, oh, no, in, you're in right. You're underworld. right. Actually, I do know yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yes. I just remember that those are... This is such a unfortunate way to remember this. A shade is something that's also in a video game. It's a type of ghost that you can find in... Yeah. Uh, uh, phasmophobia so i should have done that um yeah. so yeah his shade tells gilgamesh about the bleak conditions in the underworld the story goes on i'm not going to give you the entirety of the whole thing but essentially <laughs> Inkidu is like i wanted to point out that it, this is someone who is also like not involved in the uh within the eternals but it is someone that i think they are essentially trying to like let you know that this is a friend that gilgamesh just has him Babylon yeah. that we yeah. don't see, but like he is a um so okay, so in the epic, right, Gilgamesh is a demigod of superhuman strength who befriends a wild man in Kidu. So I'm assuming that like either Enkidu has already died, maybe in, at this mm. point. Um, but it doesn't quite make sense, like to it, me a little bit. I don't know. Well, uh, one thing, um, well, just really quick, um, while while I've uh, stolen the spotlight for a second, I think that's so interesting how how the parallels with the Epic of Gilgamesh, they have to they have to chase monsters away just like deviants, like, right? Um, and then two, it um, it reminds me of like like I'm, I'm thinking specifically of the Wonder Years, but a bunch of bands do it where it's like you mention your friends in the song, and it's like you wrote mm-hmm. it about them, they're in the song, it makes sense to you. Right, but, but to everyone no, else, but, everyone else is like, yeah. I don't understand. I mean, like, <laughs> I liked it's like was uh, just a guy that Gil- Gilgamesh knew. Like, <laughs> it's something that I think you and I spoke about at one point, which was that like, there's a song by Blink One Eighty Two that came out on the deluxe version of of uh, California, where at one point Mark Hoppus mentions Matt like broke his ankle in a parking lot, mm-hmm. right? And we were both yeah. like, is he talking about Matt Skiba or just some other Matt? And we had to have that right. conversation. Turns out it is just some random Matt. But it's such a weird thing to be like, hey, Matt, just like name dropping yeah. a random dude who is somewhere in California is like, hey, that's me. That's my ankle. That's you me. know, I broke my ankle. And everyone's like, yeah, I'm sure you did, Matt. And he's like, no, well, I did. Come on. Really? And in the Wonder Years, Dan Campbell keeps mentioning people. And I keep looking at the band people that are in the band. <laughs> And none of them are named the things. So I'm like, is this names are are changed to protect the innocent or like, because it's not because there's cut this if you want. But like, there's a part of the genius where there's the lyrics like I watched Mike slash Mon's tires in out in the parking lot. And they have a the genius has a screenshot of a Facebook comment where Monica last name blurred says, I guess the Wonder Years lyric that I most relate to is when our friend Mike slashed my tires in the diner parking lot and then my friend dan wrote a song about it (laughs) that's really funny i like that a lot though um so also so this hang on a second it's also funny though right because we're talking here about like you know mentioning people and all this other stuff and i also like had more notes and apparently if i just scrolled down i would have seen the answer to to part of what i had just said so yeah Yeah. and kidu was someone who had lived and was already dead by the way he was um like about a thousand a little little over a thousand years before that 
like this right. story. He was right. someone who lived. So this is someone who like, I guess these are stories that they are still passing down in Babylon of like the stories of Gilgamesh and Enkidu. And so he was a legendary hero who originally appeared in these, you know, uh, Akkadian, Akkadian, however you say it, uh, epic of Gilgamesh, which I just think is very interesting. Yeah. And the the one thing that I also wanted to point out uh, was I wrote down that his name has been variously interpreted. Um, it's identical with a deity Enkimdu or mm. the Lord of the Reed Marsh or okay. Enki, uh, which is like has created is essentially. Oh, so, um, and then Enkidu is a wild man created by the god Anu. So like there's a mm. lot of interesting things. And I think that this all comes down from A, the very little bit of written history that we have, right. yeah. uh, but also a lot of like oral story yeah. and kind of like a game of telephone. You know, you probably tell a million yeah. stories and eventually you go, well, there's like five different versions of this guy. Huh. Right. Interestingly enough, like not the only religion that has this <clears throat> Christianity. Like, um, like what if, uh, what if Tom DeLonge sang a story song to, um, to uh, the, uh, Tim from Rancid mm-hmm. and then Tim from Rancid came to you, Colin and sang you the song that, he knew from Tom, but I only like, heard it once. Basically, I yeah. guess it's this, and then you have to go sing it to me. It's te- it's like telephone, but it's like with accents and stuff. It's like, did he say right. a new or and Kim? Do-? Like what? Hmm. What? What? I think he said. I'm just gonna go with this. <laughs> he, he said, yeah, but I don't know what word that is. Uh, that, that's the issue of Tom DeLong. Is exactly. he makes a sound, you go, he's like, I'm so sorry, my head is on fire. And you're like, what? Yeah, and I then Tim's like, said, I'm so sorry. No he said, um, he, I think he said something about like, the night is starry, uh, and there's something <laughs> in the bed, I think is what he said. So, And then I'm like, I don't know what this means. Yeah, anyway. Uh, and, and then, then the, you make a religion out of that. Exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You know, we were talking beforehand, uh, <laughs> before we recorded about um, Bill Wirtz, right? Yeah. But it's really funny that you said it exactly as such, right? Because in uh, a song of his, that's 20 minutes, but an unbelievable 20 minutes, by the way, extremely entertaining. Uh, it's called The History of the World. And mm-hmm. multiple times uh, throughout that thing, he'll tell you something that happened in history and then says, huh, you could make a religion out of that. Right. And then like points out <laughs> that someone did in fact make a religion out of that. Um, I love that. My That's favorite one good. is at one point he goes, you can make a rel- religion out of that. No, please don't like, I forget which, <laughs> which that is, but it is something that happened in history where you're like, no, actually please don't do that. Um, right. cause I think it was like a religion that was very short lived or something like that, but it's still right. very funny. Um, very good. Uh, okay. And the reason why, again, I wanted to break up all this stuff is because I had a bunch of research for this section and really none for the rest. Um, perfect. So let me... I have an Avengers ensemble for the next. Oh, good. So that'll be perfect. So I'm going to keep talking for a little bit more because I have a couple more fun little things here, which is that uh, in theater, right, when I was in high school, the reason why I wanted to do this section in particular is that I was... I don't want to say that I was famous because I feel like that's kind of very like waxing poetic for myself or really patting myself on the back, giving myself too many accolades. But Maybe I really well known was or renowned. Yeah, I really was though well known for like pantomime. I don't know mm. 
what it is. I think a little bit of it is just, you know, the Italian blood in me and speaking uh-huh. with my hands coming into fruition. Um, but in All my these senior podcasting year, skills you were developing. Exactly. Like I talk with my hands and that's the thing. Like I feel fine about that because like no one can see me like waving my hands around like crazy right. until we do a live show, in which case, welcome. Um, What's wrong with it? Yeah. Why? Why? He can't sit still. He's He's podcasting. Normally, we can't see him. So why is he doing all this? Um, why is the table rattling? We've taped his hands to the table. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sense. Well, that's weird. Um, so, okay. So, but the, the thing, though, is that pantomime is this big thing for me, right? Like, uh, in my senior year, I did two shows in a row where my character had to pantomime a story uh, in, like, a very grandiose fashion. And every single time, I got these notes from people being like, it's incredible because I would look at you, quote unquote, like telling the story in the background, and I could always tell exactly where you were in the story right. because you were like so good at, you know, just emoting exactly where people were or who they were or whatever, just through your hands. And I was like, thank you. I really appreciate that. I yeah. was like something that I took pride in. And so that's why when I saw uh, Sprite, you know, although Sprite is putting up giant, you know, images in the sky. Sure. Sprite is still pantomiming. Like yeah. after putting these images up, you know, Sprite is moving her hands and you know moving the images and telling the story with her abilities and her hands. And so yeah, uh, I wrote down pantomime and I'm not going to go through the entire history of it, uh, but I did want to say that it's very interesting because obviously it has to have existed well before this, right? Oh, for um, sure. But it's like we don't have any written history about pantomime Right. Um, until now, this is going to blow your mind until the 1800s. Um, it does blow my mind. So like technically, like we, we know a little bit about it, right. As far as like, as, as far as like, uh, it being a part of theater specifically, I guess maybe is maybe a better way to describe this. Uh, yeah. we knew it being in Western culture, a little bit of development from like the 16th century with uh, the Commedia dell'arte. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, that was, that was the tradition yeah. of Italy and other European and British stage traditions. Yeah. Um, like the 17th century masks and uh, music hall. Uh, but an important part of the pantomime uh, then was essentially like the late 19th century becoming uh, the Harlequinade. Har- Har- mm-hmm. Harlequinade. I don't know why that sounded so wrong, but it did. Um, At the end so, of uh, the pantomimes, they would dump a big vat of harlequinade <laughs> on the most successful. <laughs> exactly. And they would go. Well, they'd pretend to. See, the thing is that what you can't see is is me like celebrating the mime and like. Right. Cele- like, I knew right yeah, where you were in the exactly. celebration. Right. Like... Thank you. <laughs> okay. You know what, James? You're muted. Um, I'm taking out your audio for the next two minutes. Uh, no, okay. No, but it's it's a thing of like pantomime obviously was used well before this, but like an actual history of the art of pantomime essentially didn't become, I think written or known until we, it entered the Western civilization because then it actually became a part of like theater and like, and like record essentially. So that's just kind of one little thing about pantomime. I wonder if they, they didn't respect it as like, they might um, not have respected it as like an art form or also they might've just considered it. Like, I think also part of the issue here is that like technically when I'm saying pantomime, there's usually not like speech with it. So right. I am, I am right. being a little bit like I'm kind of playing loose with it. Sure. Right. Sure. Because technically they were telling the story the whole time. Right. So like it probably wasn't written down before then because people probably weren't really truly pantomiming. They were just right. emoting with their hands, which at right. that point is just acting. So, okay. 
two more very fast things, and then we'll get back to the story that we've been telling. So I also looked up just the history of storytelling and cultural traditions. Okay, cool. Um, so this is part of society, but you know, part of um, uh, uh, what's it called? Um, National Geographic, essentially. Um, okay, sure. So storytelling and cultural traditions. Storytelling is as storytelling is as old as culture. Many societies have long established storytelling traditions. The stories and performances thereof function to entertain as well as educate. Um, mm. It's just sort of like kind of like the subtext or whatever there. Um, yeah. But it's it's pretty fascinating. Like you know, storytelling is this universal uh, and ancient thing for man uh, for mankind. Uh, before there was writing, there was basically only storytelling. Like this was the way yep. that you entertain, informed, and uh, you know, pass down your cultural traditions and values. Yeah. Um, so oral storytelling is telling a story through voice and gestures. So oral sure. tradition can take many forms, including poems, chants, rhymes, songs, and way more than that. Um, right. It encompasses myths, legends, fables, religion, prayers, proverbs, even instructions. Um, right. And so there's a lot like to this uh, this article, but like there's some really cool stuff here about specifically like some examples of storytelling methods that are passed down through cultural traditions, like uh, the Choctaw uh, storytelling, the Native Hawaiian storytelling. Is the Choctaw storytelling storytelling what you brought up um, or what you will bring up in uh, sixteen fifty? I believe so. They were very specific about what they wanted to to like tell in their stories, right? Right. Um, they were pretty much only telling stories for one of two reasons, which was preserving the tribe's history and then educating the young. While right. I'm sure there is probably still some stuff in there about entertainment, you know, for them, yeah. I think that for them it was much more about a societal thing rather than like, hey, like we need to do something fun. Like what's something fun? Someone tell us a story, right? Like I think it was right. more of like, no, it's the third Wednesday of March, so right. now is the time to tell you this story once again, because every year we get we tell this story, um, you know, or every every third Wednesday of Mar of the month or whatever, you know, right? Just like you you pass that tradition along, it's, um, yeah, Je like a Jesus with a parables mm -hmm. thing, where it's right. like uh, just real quick. My the thing that always cracks me up if you if you listen to if you know you hear the gospels or whatever you hear stories about Jesus telling parables, the funniest thing to do is imagine he's like really smart and all of the disciples are just idiots because they'll be like all right let me tell you a story about a guy who planted seeds in like the wrong area and by this i mean that you know you need to plant seeds of faith in such and such and his disciples are like well what kind of seeds well where did he plant them did he water them was the sun and he's like you guys it mm. <laughs> like how do i how do i explain <laughs> Without explaining. Um, yeah, exactly. I, like, how many times did you just go, you know what? Yes, Paul. Yes. Yeah, and just walk know? away. It's like, yeah, you know what? Hey, good job, Paul. Paul's like, you know what? Hey, I thought about it, and actually, you're right. I get it. And you're like, really? He's like, yes. You can't mix seed types. He's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah you, you got you, it. You I mean, that's it, true because it's, it's so funny because, like, you tell an allegory about the thing that that is their career. Mm-hmm you can't expect them not to bring their career knowledge in. Like you right. tell a mechanic, like this is a parable about fixing a car and they're like, okay, well what kind of engine is it? Right. Well, hang on. <laughs> well, I mean, like, like what kind of, like, were they, was it well oiled? Like how are they, yeah. how are they taking care of this car? And you're like, listen, 
mechanic friend, like that's not the point of the story. It's like, well, I'm wondering because you said it's not starting. So I need right, to know let, why it's not starting. All right. There's some seeds. Okay. And then the mechanic is like, okay, no idea what that means. Go on. You know? <laughs> I assume they're symbolic. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Jesus, Jesus tells the disciples, there's a car. And they go, what the hell is a car? He goes, it's a vehicle. Still not explaining it, my guy. You know, just like getting through that. Um, you know, the other thing about, about this is, um, just real quick, mm-hmm. this is comic books. Yes. And I love the parallel of like Sprite is telling stories of heroes that she's putting up on a big screen. You know, it's funny though that you said that because I was thinking I was thinking about that when I was writing this down. I was like, you know, a lot of what it actually like comic books to me are very much just like what we did on like, for example, the walls of Babylon at the gate sure. right, that we discussed, like these pictures and like these picture books or picture whatever i mean like hieroglyphics sure. and stuff like that in sure like ancient egypt was just one graphic novel yeah know? absolutely and so and that that's all yeah. it is but they also somewhere I mean, in ancient you know, greece books. ancient greece somewhere in ancient egypt just went like rolled over in their tombstone was like or in their yeah. in their tomb and i was like oh yeah I exactly don't care for whatever that was but like you know comic books are you know there you can you know some are just for entertainment or whatever but like i think you can glean like moral stuff out of out of a lot of good com- you definitely comic books can and stuff. a yeah. lot of comic books especially like within the last like i don't know i mean like the last like maybe decade have really been leaning on them sure and then also around the times of like the civil rights movement example for example, sure yeah like the x-men was written as this like huge allegory and yeah. you know that there were a lot of people who are like i love the x-men and i can't believe they're being prosecuted like this you're like great so that means that you're the like yeah of course but also you know the rights of these people absolutely not but the mutants should get and they're like god yeah. you just <laughs> the, you are missing just, the point. i love all these white mutants and someone's like oh, oh all right fine god. Oh, hold on it just makes a storm in my brain wait a minute wait a minute hang on that gives me <laughs> an idea my last note for the eternals like first section of this uh, clip is just simply that like i noticed that there were boats like large yeah. boats that they were showing. So I was kind of thinking, like, I wonder, like, have we seen boats of this size yet? Like, I wasn't, you know, I'm, I'm not a history major. I don't know exactly right. when we've crafted certain, you know, forms of transportation. Uh, so I was just kind of curious, like, because of the way that the story was presented of, like, eventually you too will go out and do these huge things. Yeah. So I was thinking, okay, 575, maybe we're, maybe we're about to create these these uh these items these vehicles um but it turns out the history of ships uh is you know pretty intricate by the way which you can find on mm-hmm. britannica.com um but the history of ships you know surviving clay tablets and containers record the use of waterborne vessels as early as 4000 BCE yeah uh, boats were you know vital aids to movement um but and they changed very little <laughs> in form years after the eternals got there yeah uh <laughs> That's very true. But they were also, you know, uh, they didn't change a lot in form for about like 6,000 years. Sure. So um, the big thing, though, is that like the earliest uh, of like the early road vessels uh, showed up during, you know, around, like I said, like around 4,000 BCE. Um, it was basically like the the earliest that we can truly see is in Egypt, which makes sense because mm-hmm. they had the Nile. Right. Sure. Uh, and also, again, a very detailed like storytelling method, like, right. you know, they were writing these things down through pictures um, yep. and representing 
things of like Egyptian boats being used to carry obelisks on the Nile from Upper Egypt that were as long as 300 feet or 100 meters, longer mm. than any warship constructed in the era of modern wooden ships, which I think is very interesting to yeah. also consider. Um, now, then we start seeing navigation on the sea uh, coming in around 3000 BCE. Okay. Um, that's the first time that we really see that with... Uh, Voyages to Crete were among the earliest, followed by voyages guided by landmark navigations um, using the early canal that tied the Nile to the Red Sea. Um, so, you know, trading journeys sailing down the eastern coast of Africa. Uh, and, you know, this continued through about 600 BCE. Then you have the Phoenician ships. And then these started showing up around 1,200, 1,300, somewhere in right. there. Um and the, these are like, you know, your, your larger boats with the j larger sails and two giant oars. So they're um, like, that was like 600 years in the future. Was correct. The, was the big or ships no, with the sails. No, sorry, that's 600 years in the past. 12, uh, 1200 BCE. Yes, 1200 BCE. Oh, okay. Sorry, okay. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, now, sailing ships, this is where we get into things where you have like the, you know, the image of like, like 80 uh, oars on either side yeah, kind of thing. Right, right, yep. So you have like a huge amount of, uh, of, of people and it takes five men on each oar kind of thing. Right. So this is showing up, um, kind of around the same time actually, which is kind of interesting and kind of weird to look at. Um, I guess that the, these were made a little bit to go a little bit further cause they didn't have as much sail power, right. but they were easier to control, I think at the time. Right. Um, and so, you know, this continues Asian ships were kind of, becoming a, a, a similar fashion without really having met, which is interesting that like they were kind of reaching similar points in their shipbuilding. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is interesting. And then, you know, really it's not until the, let's see, what what is this? I think it's like the fort, starting around 12, uh, it's like 1200 CE. Yeah, that's when you start seeing ships that can like actually go like across the ocean, <laughs> like, further right. distances like right. huge distances so like that's that's your first real like time of seeing that like your first right. oceanic navigation uh being through the strait of gibraltar richard the first of england the ship is uh the history of ships yeah it's pretty extensive but it's also pretty interesting absolutely there's a lot of cool things that are all encompassed within sprite's story both historically and just in like the art form of it uh yeah. And so I thought that that was like a cool thing to get into, but I wanted to break it all down before we got to the stuff that doesn't require research. Right. Well, there, there was just, just to connect something in my mm -hmm. head, the reason why like you have in like your Odysseys and Odysseys and Iliads and, and, you know, old testaments and stuff where it's like, and then Noah built the ark and these were the dimensions and these were the, how far the beams stretched and stuff. Cause it was like, Actually, it reminds me a lot of uh, the Little House on the Prairie books where it was like, and then they needed to make bread. And here's how they made bread. And this is mm -hmm. what they used. And this is what they did. Because it was, it's like, yeah, it's a story, but it's also uh, an instruction manual. Like it's correct. You know, yeah. The old, like old stories are like, yeah, it's, oh, adventure. Oh, they're fighting the Cyclops. But also what I'm trying to tell you is how to barbecue a pig. <laughs> we are, we are like, uh, what's the word for it? Like we are, um. We're, we're tricking you into learning something is, exactly. what, is what they're doing. It's a um, bee dance. It's it's PBS kids. Yeah. But like ancient ways, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, this, is, this, is the, this is the this is the initial version of Arthur, right? 
Exactly. Uh, don't <laughs> hit like a, your a sister. Mesopotamian and... fist. <laughs> oh God! Hey, if there's any fan artists out there, <laughs> I, God, do I need to see an eternal fist right now? Yeah it it should be Gilgamesh's Gilgamesh, fist. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that would be so. But good. Arthur's sweater. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah you, you you nailed it. You know it. Um, okay, so let's get to the very last bit of the story here. Yep. Um, so this is now picking back up at twenty five twenty four and going through the end of the clip that I had mentioned earlier, which is twenty seven forty three. After Sprite's incredible performance, Kingo and Gilgamesh go to sit with Sprite. Gilgamesh is happy and has his arm tight around his friend, trying to sit and occupy the same space. Uh, I was like, I just saw that, he says to Sprite, while Kingo pleads with him, there are so many other chairs, man, which I truly love. The most Kumail. I know. Such a, <laughs> such a Kumail line. Like, that, to me, was not even scripted. It's just like, why? No. Like this was not in the script. There are so many other chairs. Please sit in one of them. Um, so Kingo continues on as they fade into the background, and he's, he's still kind of chatting him up in this way. Um, Fina is then kind of walking through and is approached by Icarus, who invites her for a drink. Thena does not stop. Icarus tells her that he can't let her go off and fight deviants on her own, and she tells him to get out of her way. I didn't come to this planet to hide behind walls, which, ooh, wow. Icarus responds that she must trust Ereshem's plan. Yeah. She doesn't agree or disagree, but, of course, she continues off on her way. Right. He stops her one last time and says, you know, it's an honor to fight along by your side. And she returns the sentiment. Thena exits. And you. <laughs> I, that, that, just really quick, the mm-hmm. format of that, I know what she means. And I, I see it all the time. That's very formal and very cool. But and you doesn't, doesn't have as many words as I need to really mm-hmm. know what you mean. <laughs> uh, absolutely. I'm like, wait, and you what? Wait, come back, come back. Like, here's the thing. Me, as someone who needs to know how people feel about me, yeah. I need to know what and you actually means. Like, I yeah. need you to say it. You um, also like fighting next to yourself. What? That doesn't even make any right. sense. Hmm. But and, and I, you would would be worse. Yes. So I guess and you is... And is, I, is. you. <laughs> I, I feel bad about this, but like, I've had people that I've dated before when I've been like, I love you. And they're like, and I, you. I'm like, no, say the words. Like, I know <laughs> you you're trying to be cute. Keyword. <laughs> And like this is also like so infuriating, I know for them because I am the type of person that pulls the Han Solo I know, or right. I do what my grandfather did. Like r- literally, right before my grandfather died, my grandmother said to him, "I love you. I don't blame you." But like that was his way of saying I love you too, right? But also keeping his humor, you know what I mean? But like that, I've I've definitely pulled that card many times where I've been like, I don't blame you. Right. But then if, if I say I love you and they go and I you, I'm like, stop it. You say you say the full thing right now. Because you know when you're doing a bit. That's true. You know, it's love language. That's what it is. That's right. Um, so anyway, so and you. She's Athena exits stage left. Yeah. Uh, and Makari then makes a speedy entrance. Drig greets her and he goes, my beautiful Makari. But then signs to her, you're late. She signs back, I needed to get enough good artifacts to make a good trade. The men she is trading with whisper to each other, let's just lie to her. And they try to slip something away while she's not looking. She whips around and stops them. And Drig translates for her, which is, I can sense vibrations, even the tiniest movement, including your voices when you speak. Did you two just waste my time? 
One man responds, the emerald tablet you're searching for is a myth. Their conversation is broken up by a bar fight. Druig controls their minds and makes them all slap their own faces twice and then hug it out. <laughs> Bakari hits his arm to stop him. When humans have conflict, Ajak tells us not to interfere. He counters that she says stealing is bad too. He holds up one of her artifacts. She grabs it out of his hand and tells him, if you don't tell, I won't tell. Deal. And then a wild amount of sexual tension happens before we finally cut away to the rest of the party enjoying themselves. Cersei dances with the townsfolks. Ajak and Icarus watch on. Icarus promises his feelings for Cersei won't interfere with the mission, but she reminds him that he is faithful to the mission, but he can also live a life and encourages him to go and tell her how he feels. Um, Get some, she says. Pretty much. I would like to posit one, two, two quick things, which okay. is that one, I, unless I'm searching in a wrong way, I'm not 100% sure what this emerald tablet is. Right. Uh, so, I, I, yeah. I, I don't know if that's something that comes up later and I just don't remember. So you you might have to remind me off mic or something later. I don't remember either. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was very weird. I didn't quite understand that. Um, and then also, I just wanted to say, I know I mentioned earlier like that there's like a wild amount of sexual tension between Druig and Makari, but quite, quite seriously, the love story between the two of them, which technically didn't exist. It was just the two of them kind of started like doing it for fun, like in the, in the movie. And then they were like, Hey, you know what? Actually let's lean into it. Let's go with it. Right. Yeah. I believed them way more than Icarus and Cersei. I'm so upset about the order that these scenes take place in because we can't talk about how much better this interaction is than two yes, scenes well, from now. Yeah. Two scenes from now. Oh, don't worry. We'll get to it. When, when, when she signs, blah, blah, blah. And he just says quietly deal. I'm like, yeah. <gasps> and then I, she uh, lifts her chin, like sort of like mm-hmm. I see you, and he's like, I see you, and I'm also taller than you. I'm like, what the? Fuck oh, I know. Is yeah, happening? they they are so <laughs> playful, but like again, also she walks in and well, walks in and she, and he says, my beautiful Makari. I mean, like he's like really laying it on thick. You know what I mean? And homegirl's uh, eating it up. You know what I mean? I love it's it. Like, I love it. It's so cute. It's like I don't know if you had these people in high school, but like, you know, she's a track star. And he just sits in the corner reading Stephen King novels all day long. And also they have the best love story in the high school. So, James, what was her name in high school? Uh, I didn't read Stephen King novels until I was in college. I was too scared of being scared. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> God, that was that was good. Uh, no, for sure. I totally get that as well. Uh, like, And that is exactly what it is. So you have a Avengers ensemble though, right? Sure. I do, I do. Uh, just re- a couple real quick shout-outs. Uh, once again, Dr. Martin Worthington killing it. The Babylon- Babylonian we hear in this, mm-hmm. again, is is going to be done by friend of the show, Dr. Martin Worthington. Uh, <laughs> second, I don't know if listeners know this. Uh, if you're listening from the beginning and this is already in the normal timeline, you for sure don't know this. But um, as part of the things that I do sort of ritualistically for this show, I keep track of characters that are mentioned or that appear in each scene. Fastos isn't in the scene. He's the only eternal that's not in this scene in any way. And I checked deleted scenes and I checked, he is down. So he has to be still, still sulking about the plow or like he's or off in the Northern fields. Yeah. yeah. Like he's like, weirdly once you notice that he's not there you're like 
He's just re- like I expected him to be in the corner, being like, He's "Oh, you guys off are idiots." Developing the ten rings. I mean, what? I mean, what? what? No, nothing. What? When? No. Woo. Uh, uh. When? Um, <laughs> shoot. Uh. When? Woo. Uh. All right. So we have uh, the only credited people from this scene are the smugglers. They are credited as Ancient Babylon Smuggler Number One and Ancient Babylon Smuggler Number Two, and uh, they are numbered. Uh, one is on the left and two is on the right. I confirmed with face with, you know, this is very technical. Um, so ancient Babylon smuggler number one, who is on the left is played by a man named Derek Horsham. Um, he has been in, he was in the second Maleficent movie with Angelina Jolie. Hmm. Uh, he was in Kingsman, the golden circle, which is the second Kingsman movie. Uh, he was in Spectre, the James Bond, the James Bond movie, and he was in Game of Thrones. I believe he was one of the, uh, you know, kill the masters. One, one of those, one of those masters. I think was was one of the, was okay. this guy. Um, and so that is Derek Horsham, uh, ancient Babylon smuggler number two, is played by Ozer Erkan. Uh, this is his second credit. He was in a short film in 2010, and then this, and then that's it. So. Um, yeah, that, that's our, that's our two, uh, Babylonian smugglers, um, that try and pull one over on Makari, but she's too quick for them. Ha 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 
I think that that's really funny. Um, slash, yeah. Anyways, um, so you can find the Scavengers Network on Twitter at ScavengersNet. Uh, I am also on Twitter, and you can find me on Twitter if you want to uh, partake of some storytelling. With you have to provide your own. Actually, I could I could do the storytelling with uh, words and gifts. So if you want to uh, hear a story from me, go ahead and hit me up at Unabashed James. Colin, where can you? Uh, where can they find you for instructions on how to build or make or uh, remember the path to various things? Sure. In okay. I'm going to pantomime my act. Oh, Here we perfect. Go. Ready? Great. Okay. Yep. Okay. It's a. It's like a, a call, a call, an M, a Colin M. Parker. You, you got it. it. I knew exactly where you were the whole time. Thank you. Um, yeah. I'm right here. I'm on the Zoom call. With you. It's hard <laughs> to miss me. Um, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, Colin and Parker. And um, the real, the real mm. sort of Orpheus of this podcast, the, the, the musician, putting the muse in musician, we have Nick Bramald. Oh. Um, you can find him on Twitter at N-B-R-A-M-A-L-D or nickbramaldcomposer.co.uk. And if you hear music starting to rise now, or if you heard music starting to rise at the very beginning, those are Nick Bramall joints, and you can uh, you can go appreciate those uh, at him at on Twitter. I think that's going to do it, though, Colin. We are uh, going to have a date uh, in a little bit. You well, you and I are going to sort of tag along on it, like sort of a double, like a blind double, mm. um, with uh, you know, we're going to go do a tour. That's all next time. Um, next time on the Eternals pickups. But uh, for now, I am James Anderson, and I'm Colin Parker. In the beginning, there was Excelsior, and it flashed across the screen as the as the podcast faded to black. Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content.